Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I'm April Martini. And today we're talking to all those people out there with an entrepreneurial vision, but who haven't yet pulled the trigger. So you might be asking, what does this have to do with the podcast about marketing smarts? But really, we think this comes down to the ability to market yourself. So your own personal brand, which is a huge trigger word these days. Uh, but you're looking to market yourself in a new way and without the halo of the company you work with. So um, this becomes essential, obviously, from a marketing standpoint. You have to take it seriously. You have to do the hard work to own your brand. Um, and one of the questions we hear a lot from people is, how do you know when it's the right time. So we feel very equipped to speak to this, uh, having both been in this position before and fairly recently. And I guess we would say there's no one single situation out there, but there's kind of some triggers and some moments that you can recognize that kind of say, you can say, okay, yeah, check, I'm headed in this direction. So we'll talk about those more today, uh, but I'll give you some kind of key points now. One is you have a yearning or you have had for years to do your own thing, but now you're starting to formulate ideas ideas on a path forward to really make that happen, some action items, kind of a step-by-step. You like your job, but you also have the side hustle and you're finding yourself gravitating towards spending more and more time on that and less and less on your day job. Or you've become disenchanted with your career and realize that that nine to five is just too much of a drag to continue on. And you're just in a dark cloud when you think about the idea of that amount of structure um, or that amount of parameters and kind of rules around your day. And I'll be really honest and say, that was me. Uh, I had a pretty good gig at the end, and I'll talk about that as we get into this a bit more. Um, But for whatever reason, I needed my life to be more fluid, and I wanted control not only at the level of who I was, but at literally what my day-to-day looked like, and that just wasn't going to happen within those parameters of where I was. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a, it's it's a big moment when you decide, you know, that this is the right thing for me to this is the right time for me, because the actual like paralyzing fear that comes with that (laughs) is so, so real, right? It's, it's just right there. And it's just, it's, so tangible. It stops everybody dead in their tracks. It mm-hmm. just does. Now, the ability then to become an entrepreneur, though, say that 10 times fast, um, is means that you're going to have to figure out how to get beyond that fear. So you're going to have to prepare yourself for what it's going to take and and, and how what you can expect so that the fear isn't so omnipresent it's not so like it doesn't push down on you so hard that you can't move like things like i don't have a paycheck anymore i mean that's a big one that was a huge one for me 
Um, I don't have the built-in resources. I could just go to like Susie next door who knows this better than I do. You have to now more leverage your network. It's just not, it's not easy and it's not going to be easy. So first thing you have to do is really just like digest the fear. You got, you got to just know that there's going to be things you don't know. There's going to be uncertainty there. You're going to have to deal with it as it comes. We're going to help you figure out how to go do that. So we're there with you and we've been there and that's why we can, you know, be here for you in in doing that. So we want to give you the top four ways to know that you are ready to roll to become an entrepreneur. Yes. So the first one, you feel unsatisfied and unfulfilled and therefore you have lost your passion. So I gave a nod to this in the intro. What I'm not talking about here is just having a bad day at work. We all have those. It's called work for a reason, right? It's not meant to be fun 100% on the time. What we're talking about is an overwhelming feeling that you're just not where you should be. You're so acutely aware of it that you feel it in your bones. You get up every day and you just can't imagine facing the day in front of you. And there's really no reason for that, right? There's no, you're not in danger. You're not, you know, nothing's going to happen to you as you go to your job, but it has become so insurmountable to you as a feeling that you have a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. And then once you set foot inside the building, and I know this sounds dramatic, but you literally feel your soul being sucked out of your body. Uh, Things that never used to bother you or even things that you used to like to do, they now irritate the utter shit out of you. And you can't imagine having to do them anymore. You find yourself daydreaming about ways to be anywhere else. You just feel it in your core. And on top of that, you can't think of any other place you'd like to work. So... I'll be honest here, career kind of job jumper. I worked at many of the agencies in town and in other places and um, was always able before the point when I reached this point to be able to find the next thing. I wanted to go to this agency because of culture. I wanted to go because I was going to learn something new. I wanted to go because it was a new set of clients. There was always something drawing me to the next thing. When you reach the point where there really is no next thing, That's a really good indicator that you might be ready to go on your own. Um, And honestly, this is kind of the point where no matter how great your boss might be, you can't stomach having a boss anymore. I mentioned having my schedule kind of laid out for me every day. I just didn't want that. I didn't want to be told how to do it, what to do, when to do it. It's about autonomy and flexibility. And when those things become so strong that you cannot imagine your life anymore the way it is, that's one of those key points when that says, hey, I think I'm ready. Yeah, I had a similar story, too, from the corporate side. And you're going to see that uh, me and April play the agency corporate side uh, <laughs> uh, on both sides. So it gives you a full perspective since I uh, grew up at P&G. But I, uh, I reached a similar point where I just felt like I was outgrowing the company. And that feels very weird to say um, because P&G is so huge. And it it seems obvious, well, if you don't like it here, just go there. And I did do that for 20 years. I started in product development. I went into products research. I went into communications and, you know, more specialized in influencer marketing. But as I looked at in my next, like, 10 years, what was going to be my next 10 years, I'm like, I just could not find the next place to go that was going to give me the same passion, same fulfillment that I had experienced in the previous 20. And I just couldn't see myself just toiling away in a company that I didn't feel like I was giving my best at and that wasn't pulling the best out of me. And that's really what made the impetus for me to um, start to like put things into place in order to actually, you know, eventually leave. Um, Now mine happened a little 
quicker than I expected, but sometimes you have to take advantage of the opportunities as they as they come too. So um, yeah, I think you, there's there's a moment where you just you, you kind of see your future laid out in front of you, and you're just like, I just don't think that's the future I want. Now this is where the paralyzing fear comes in too, right, April? Because mm-hmm. you look at it and you're like, but it's a secure paycheck. This is a really good company. Why would I want to leave? I actually had this conversation with my husband. Why would you want to leave that place? You know, so. Um, it's just there's something, a calling, there's something more that I wanted to, to do. I wanted the flexibility. I wanted to do something more. I wanted to expand and just felt confined. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think once you reach that point, that's a good segue to our next one, which is, okay, you have this feeling, but like I said in the setup, you've started to think about what happens then as a result of that. What am I going to do to make this my new reality? And so the next one we have here is, you know, there's a better way, but you also know how to monetize it. Right. And this is the one where a lot of people sit and like you said, and they dream about, oh, if I could just do it like this, or if I just had a different boss, or if I had the ability, you know, or I had the money to do this, or I had the ability to do this, or if I had more time, I could do this. Like there's always some excuses, but there is definitely something that's usually kind of rattling around in your head. Um, as you're thinking about like, it, it, or as you're thinking about life in a more entrepreneurial way, now there's a very big difference between actually thinking about it than actually doing something about it. And it's actually not that many people who end up going to do something about it. These are the people who continue to complain about the way things <laughs> are and, you know, and what they wish they could do if they only had more time, money, space, a boss that like listened to them or a coworker that wasn't trying to step all over. I'm like, whatever your excuse, I mean, those are always. You know, the uh, there's always an excuse there as to why you can't put into place what you want to go into put into place, and it could be very real. I'm not saying that it's not necessarily real, um, but you have to get beyond that, right? And so there's something about then being able to start formulating in your head what it is that you understand or that you know that other people do not. And that was really like a a key pivotal one for me. And actually, that's how a lot of people start first on their entrepreneurial journey is they start practicing that within the place that they're in to first see how it works, how people respond. It's a really good test and learning environment to do it in your own place. And very rarely have I ever heard of people saying, no, you can't go try something. And and just as an example, um, my last role at P&G I actually created my own role because I saw this opportunity to be able to go beyond the basic just brand benefit of what we're, we were providing to deliver more emotional benefits and really focusing on the emotional benefit as being a brand driver versus the product benefit. Now, that's not saying the product benefit isn't important. This is just the next layer above. And that's what I started uh, uh calling cultivating brand love. And that became um, a way of speaking about branding that even though people kind of inherently knew and understood, wasn't necessarily formulated or documented and process-oriented so that you could actually be all on the same page with what that means and how you go do that. So that became something I started to practice was like, okay, how do you look beyond just delivering a benefit and how do you deliver emotional connection? And I realized that that worked very much in laundry. I, I've talked about my Tide example about how you reach a billion-dollar business more by creating love connections than you do just by saying that your product's the best. But 
outside of that category too. And I was like, ah, I think this actually travels. So I started testing it out with my client or I'm not clients at that time. They were my people that I worked with, obviously in my partnerships and um, and those sorts of things. And, you know, and at that point it's like, hey, this is working for them too. So all of a sudden something started to kind of develop that I felt I could actually sell and monetize against. Now, if I was talking to our performance coach, Scott, um, who is also our sponsor, um, he would tell me um, or he start, how he started with me with this was, if you lost your job today, what could you go sell tomorrow? And that's a really fundamental question to ask yourself because a lot of people are like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have anything. I'm not special in any way. But there is something that you understand inherently better than anybody else. If you can start wrapping your mind around what that is and call it like your your IP, your own individual IP, your own individual intellectual property, that becomes something that is tangible that you can put a price tag on. Yeah. And I think the other thing that happens here, you know, we, we've talked a lot about fear and we'll continue to do so throughout this. But um, I would say that this moment becomes more of a non-emotional moment than others within the journey because you've dealt with the emotions of, okay, I feel this way or I don't want to do it this way or, you know, kind of your complaint side of things. But now that you've made the decision that you're going to give this a shot, you have to take a step back and really think logically about what it is you're able to put out there. And then that'll get you to the monetized piece because honestly, the identifying it is the hard part. Mm. Once you find the thing, then it's like, okay, well, what do I think I can charge for this? But that's a you know much lesser decision. And so this piece is interesting because it is a self-reflection, yes, but from the objective standpoint of how am I different in what I can go do that no one else can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's number two. And then number three is a big one. You're prepared to make sacrifices in your lifestyle to get your business off the ground. And I'm going to let Ann take this one, but I'm going to poke fun at her because, well, and myself, quite frankly, because this is when I knew uh, we were kindred spirits. She talked to me about when she started her own journey, we were kind of like, you know, bemoaning the fact that you have to give up certain things. Uh, And for her, it was all about downgrading the wine selection to the cheaper (laughs) shelf at the store. And I totally agree appreciated that because I could see myself standing in front of that same shelf at a similar time and saying, oh, man, we better go down to the lower. In fact, for me, I went too lower than that. Um, But so anyway, I'll turn it over to her. But just that little anecdote is a fun one for us. Yeah. I mean, choices have to be made. um, And I think the I learned how to appreciate wine in France. So um, it was uh, it was it was a hard it was a hard one for me, but I did not give up my housekeeper. So like, it's all about making like really (laughs) critical, important choices about what's going to be fundamental in order to support your journey and what you can live without. And take it from me, there's some things that you think you cannot live without that you figure out you can, or at least can temporarily. Like we didn't like blow up our whole entire life. We decided, you know, we have, you know, four kids, like we wanted to make sure that they didn't, Uh, dare I say, suffer at the hands of some of the choices we've made. Now, we made better choices with regards to what we're going to do. So, for example, instead of taking, you know, all of us, all six of us and going to Hawaii on vacation, we went to someplace that we could drive to, right? So you just kind of start making some balancing those choices. It doesn't mean we don't 
when you're going to go on a vacation for five years, although that might mean it for some people, depending on where you're starting. Um, but you, it, it did mean that I wasn't, you know, drinking the wine I wanted to drink, or I didn't get to, um, we didn't go out to eat as much. Um, we cooked a lot more at home, or I didn't go shopping as much as I would. And, and because you're, you know, in, in this new entrepreneurial world, sometimes you can flex on that too, where you don't need like the designer wardrobe, like I felt like I need at, at, I needed at PNG. So, you know, there's, there's lots of choices you can make, but you find that the thing that means the most to you is your pursuit. And if your pursuit is worth it, if it means that much to you, these other things become immaterial. But the thing you need to really plan for is the fact that it could take you, and it's on average takes people at least one and a half to two years to really get something off the ground. And I can say that humbled me tremendously because you know, leaving, you know, my corporate world, I thought that my whole experience there was going to carry me a whole lot further than I thought. Um, And now I still had a great network and there was tremendous people who helped me and they were totally willing to mentor me and coach me. But I didn't get my phone calls returned like I used to when I was at, you know, P&G, where everybody returned my phone calls. It took a lot longer. Um, I had to plant a whole lot more seeds in in trying to network. And networking for me, I'm, I tend to be a little bit introverted, um, is, is hard. Um, it, it, it's exhausting, emotionally exhausting. So I had to really be intentional in creating a network that was going to be able to support me um, in, in getting my business off the ground. Right. So those things like, you know, are are really critically important to do. But you have to really like plan on the fact that this could take upwards of two years and make sure that you are prepared for that and not feel like you're failing along the way if it takes even longer. I mean, sometimes my my flyway was bigger. Um, So it took my me a little bit longer to get that going. And that's totally fine. Just be real with where you are how important this is to you and make the right choices. Yeah. And the one thing I would add to that is don't be afraid to pivot. So Anne mm-hmm. took the shot at me with the uh, the person that cleans the house. Uh, that was one of the things I canceled and stupidly thought that my husband and I could get along and rotate cleaning bathrooms, which turned out to be an extremely bad choice. And we reinstated the cleaning person and sacrificed something else. Um, but I I would just say that the one thing to be careful of here is you still have to live your life, which you heard Anne talking about, um, but you also have to remain inspired. And some of that becomes eliminating things that drag you down. So, you know, fighting with my husband every week about who was going to clean the bathroom just seemed ludicrous after so many years together. Um, that was an easy thing to fix. And guess what? It opened up, you know, two to three hours of my week that then I could go and figure out something for the business. So I would just say, don't feel like you have to go back to eating ramen noodles like you did in college. That's not what we're talking about here. And if that's going to be your situation, quite frankly, be careful. Make sure you really take a hard look. Um, because here we're just we're we're saying, okay, you have to make some sacrifices, yes, but they should be choiceful and purposeful and help drive your energy toward a point that working on your business is still exciting and fun, even though it can be challenging at times. Mm-hmm. All right. And that brings us to our next one. Uh, final of the four, you have the processes in place for structure and focus. 
This is a question, honestly, that Ann and I get all the time, and we got it more than ever with COVID, quite frankly, because people that had never worked from home and weren't sure how to structure that. So we feel like it's a really, really important one to talk about here. Um, The self-discipline and motivation that is required to be a successful entrepreneur is something that you really, really have to consider. Um, For me, I mean, I was so worn out by the time I left my job because I'd been scheduled in 45 hours of meetings a week. I'd had 100 or 200 emails a night that needed to be attended to when I got home. Um, You know, I was running like crazy and had a small child at the time. And so... I just had so many things that needed tackling every day that after I made the choice to be on my own, which is, again, by far and away the biggest one, the second biggest challenge, honestly, was like, oh, well, what now what do I do with all this time? And I think that this can be intimidating. The first thing I would say is do something, do anything, do something proactive, make it digestible chunks of things, um, and then also just try to figure out what works for you for a schedule standpoint. So like I said, for me, being in nine to five meetings every day did not use my energy appropriately. And I wanted my life to be a lot more fluid. Um, The ability to work when I wanted to work out when I wanted to do the grocery shopping when I wanted. And so I started thinking about my weeks in in terms of chunks of time blocks. And when was I going to get certain things finished based on when it was the best time of day for me to do that. And also making sure to not become so structured in it that then it became demotivating the way those hours and hours of meetings had become. Um, So I think it's a, again, it's a, you know, try things out, adjust as you need to, but really you have to make sure that you are honest about the fact that you need to be prospecting, you need to be doing work and working on clients, you need to be networking with people. So what does that balance look like? What do your new days look like? And then go about putting that structure in place in a way that's going to be meaningful for you. And if none of that works, then just remember that time is money literally for you at this point. So you're on your own, no steady paycheck. You better hit the ground running and get out there. Um, Could you watch Netflix all day? Yeah, no one's your boss. No one's out there watching you. But that certainly isn't going to turn into any sort of profit or paycheck or, you know, growth of your business. Yeah. And I think just I've one point I'd build on that is that you also need to know when to call it a day. Yeah. Right. Because there's nobody telling you, okay, this is a nine to five job or you're not punching a clock. And it's very hard to feel like in pursuit of your dream and because of all the uncertainty that surrounds it, that you need to work 24 seven. And the thing that I've realized the most after leaving the corporate world was that, listen, there's seven days a week, there's 24 hours in a day to your point that you just made April. It's up to me to figure out how to make those work. So the one awesome thing about being on your own is you do have the flexibility. Um, I wake up and, you know, my kids my kids are older now, so I don't have to get them off to school. But I actually work out in the morning because I like to – that's my time to learn. So I put on my podcast. I go for a walk. I go to the gym. That's the time I, I learn. I get to my computer probably for the first time. I might do a couple emails before or, like, in the, in, in the walk. I get to my computer probably, honestly, for the first time, maybe around 1030 in the morning, right? 
But I work a solid four hours and because I don't have all the distracting meetings, everything else that's going on. That is a solid four hours of work. Can you, I mean, when was the last time all you guys out there put in a solid four hours of work <laughs> in a day? like Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. So, you know, that is, like, real honest to goodness. Like, I'm pushing my business forward work. And then I might take a break for a little bit, and then I might work in the evening. And I don't resent working in the evening or on the weekends now because I'm working at it in pursuit of myself. And that's when my energy makes sense for me to be able to do that, to squeeze that in. Um, I spent a lot of time working, I write, actually like writing my book, my um, the first book I wrote, like when um, my daughter's at soccer practice. That was my writing time. I mean, so you have to like find the right times that make it work for you. But it's really, really important to say, and it's okay to say, hey, I'm done for the day. Or even more importantly, I'm taking the day off. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not doing anything. Or I'm going to, like, you, it, those are okay. I, we just want to tell you guys that it is okay. Yes, exactly. Um, and the next part we have here, those are kind of our top four ways to identify if you're going to be an entrepreneur or not. Um, we'll get to our in the trenches. But one more final thing that I think we've placed a fine point on, but it just is so worth mentioning one last time, is that the hardest part is making the leap. And that there is nothing bigger or more insurmountable than that moment when you take that leap. Yes, there will be moments where the money isn't coming in as quickly or a contract doesn't sign as fast as you want it to or, you know, your kid gets sick and you can't take a paid sick day, right? All these things come up. But you've really, I think, got to look at that opportunity and continue to look at it positively so that when you hit other hard times, you can look back and say, yes, but I did this. Look at the big choice I made to go and do this. And then you can go and kind of put yourself in the right mindset to go tackle whatever is next because it can't be as big as that. So final remarks there. So on to our segment of In the Trenches. And as a reminder, this is where we take questions um, that others have posed to us or topics that we've been asked about a lot, and we put them in real-world context. So it may be specific to an industry or not, but it, it is content that's relevant kind of across the board as you think about marketing and branding, and in this case, entrepreneurship and re- what really works there. So the first one is, how do I manage to keep my job and work on what's next? One of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make is taking the leap before they've actually started anything. And this is what we were talking about before. So, okay, you have these grandiose ideas, but do you actually have plans? Do you have a business plan? Do you have hard and fast action steps? Do you have a way to monetize what you're doing? All of those things come into play here. Map it out. Uh, Also, It does end up being a period of time where you kind of have two jobs. You've got to reinvigorate your network. Hopefully you've been keeping up on that. But even if you have, you got to be meeting with people. you got to get feedback. you got to ask for referrals. you got to refine your offering based on advice other people give you. It is really about pounding the pavement before you ever dream of putting your notice in at your company. I will say that I'm a bit OCD. So for me, I had to literally write out a plan and then track myself. That meant two to three reach outs a week via email or phone, one in-person meeting, a couple hours a week refining my business plan. Okay, that's not another 40 hours, but I would say on top of the 45 to 50 I was working, that was another 10 to 20 hours a week that I was committing to do that. Now, what that got me to was 
having time and having kind of an offering built and refined and potential clients on the horizon and people knowing what I was doing so that when I made that leap, it was no longer such a large leap. I had tackled a lot of things I was going to need to do in order to get my business off the ground. And this went on for six solid months. I did it for four months without my company knowing. I gave two months notice to them and continued to do this. So half a year spent building that business that I had envisioned for so long. Yeah, I think it's if you can, it's really like I said, it's really good to give yourself that cushion. Um, I had mentioned that uh, everything kind of happened kind of fast for me. I I literally decided that I was going to start the process. And then a month and a half later, found out that that job that I created for myself was going to go away. And, you know, that's a risk sometimes of like, uh, you know, kind of taking the responsibility for your own career. And I knew that that could happen. And it wasn't, you know uh it, it totally you know unexpected and uh that started another series of um opportunities and and what happened was that actually i could get a severance package and that was a a total enabler for me now not everybody gets the uh, the severance package that you know allows them to have a little bit of cushion um for cash and it had it was good and it was bad it was good because it did give me a little cushion it was bad because it felt like it was a clock constantly ticking in the back of my head that this cash is going to run out at some point which put me in a probably not the best mindset because i didn't have a mindset of growth i had a mindset of like something was going away but um I had to condense everything that I was going to do in the typical time frame, like you said, from like six months plus to like three months, um, which is, I mean, and I, I mean, I plugged it a gazillion times. I'll probably because plugged it a gazillion times more. There are people to help you fast track that. I that was the reason why I did get a performance coach because I was like I needed somebody who had been there before that was going to help me fast track what I wanted to do and keep me accountable for making sure that I was following this process and also doing the checks with me, like you said about. Is this the right thing for me? Am mm-hmm. I sure this is what I want to go do? Am I sure I don't want to go get another job? Am I sure I didn't want to stay at PNG because I had the option of staying if I wanted to? So these were all like questions that you need to you need to ponder um, in order to make sure that you're making the right decision for yourself. Yes, exactly. So that gets us to the next one here about getting comfortable with that uncertainty. Now, we've talked a little bit about this with, you know, no regular paycheck. But again, another one that I think um, – requires a little more reminder and conversation around how you go about doing this. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, this is a, this is a big area of stress for me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was making a pretty good living at PNG, and even just thinking about that being gone, but then also the uh, opportunity to have to replace that because I was, um, you know, the breadwinner at the time. Right. So um, those are very hard things to have to grapple with and have to think about. And it doesn't stop there. So once you kind of get over, you know, everything that we've said about having to like reduce um, your expenses and figuring out how you're going to compromise, you then have to deal with the fact that you actually have to get clients. <laughs> right. And then those clients, you know, you get a couple clients here and it takes a little while to kind of get clients on board. I mean, if you imagine being on the other side of that and, you know, how long I took to like vet somebody out. Now I have a appreciation for it. I think it was just karma coming back really just seriously to bite me in the butt. But um, <laughs> it, it's real and it takes time. And, you know, once you get your, your flywheel going, it, it starts to kind of like go a little bit more, you know, smoothly so that you don't have the big spaces. But, you know, what, what April says, and, 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 and I have experienced as well, is like, there always was something that came about as a result of very active 
planting seeds, marketing, like doing, if you're doing your due diligence to make sure that you are really like networking and doing all these things you need to do in order to build your business, then those things start to grow. And once they grow, you start reaping, you know, what you grow and then you start replanting. And that becomes a very um, fortuitous cycle. Now, saying all that, um, you have to believe you can do it. Yes. And there was like, there's going to be doubt. I had doubt. April had doubt. We have doubt together, you know, about like, are we going in the right way? And you had mentioned, you know, being okay pivoting. It's, mm-hmm. This is the same thing in your business because we started Forthright People as a totally different concept and then evolved it. We had to pivot because it wasn't um, something that we felt like we could sell at that moment, you know? So we were, we've been practitioners of our own, um, of our own teachings here. But the whole underlying thing is you have to believe you could do it. So, I was listening to a podcast uh, that Chris uh, Seco was on. He's um, one of the billionaire VCs, but also was on Shark Tank. And he says the same thing. It's like some, you know, they asked him, like, how did you know that this was all going to work out? He's like, I just believed I could do it. Like, yeah. there was nothing in my mind that said that I could not do this. And I think that's a very powerful place to be. It doesn't mean that you are like delusional and, you know, if you really have a bad like product or service and you don't know how to monetize it, like it doesn't solve for incompetencies in what you're building, but it does give you the the strength and the fortitude to believe that you will, you can persevere. And, and there's a lot of people that have been where you are. So um, it, it's, it's kind of like a two pronger there where you have to do the hard work, which is marketing your business and and actually planting those seeds. As Tony Robbins will say, you don't have a real viable business if you're not marketing, if you're not actively marketing. If you're counting on word of mouth, re- you know, reputation all the time, that can tend to dry up and ask all these people like during this COVID time how that's impacted them and they'll tell you that's for sure. So you have to do all that hard work, but you also then have to have the guts and the stamina and the grit to believe that it's all going to happen and it, it will happen if you do all the right things. Yeah, and I think um, that's a good segue into our next question, which is how do I go about selling business? But the one thing I want to mention here is the idea that you really need to be patient. And that goes into the selling process really specifically. So you don't want to be pushy. And talked about how things take time. You have to cultivate relationships. You have to work on your business. You have to pivot where necessary. You have to try out different things and see what people will buy. All of that is hugely important to the selling process. Um, And I think as part of that, we've talked about network some, it's worth going back to that here. So the old adage is totally true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So go to your network, leverage them, start those meetings ahead of time like we've talked about. Anne mentioned all those people that helped her along the way. Don't make it salesy. Go to people and ask for advice. Ask them if they think you have good ideas. Ask them where you think they might fit into their business. Do some exploratory and really dig around and I think you'll think you'll feel when the time is right to make that pitch or to suggest working together, uh, but you you really can't make that happen too fast. That's where you can kind of fall off, and where people start to get skeptical and they feel like you're just trying to sell them something. All of those things. But if you work your network appropriately, I think one of the biggest ahas for me was those people that I thought were going to automatically give me business weren't the ones giving me business in a lot of cases, but they were the ones referring me. And those referrals would end up somewhere where, to Anne's comments and points, I had no idea that that's where we were going to end or that was going to be the client that came through 
through. I couldn't have even imagined that person because I didn't know them at that point in time. But suddenly my book of business started to grow. I was getting, you know, a lot of referrals. Um, people were coming to us for work. Um, and and really, it's about staying in front of people the appropriate amount of the time, because even those with the best of intentions, they're busy, right? They have their own job. They have their own family. They're looking out for themselves. They're not trying to be negative or nasty. But if they told you, OK, I'll get back to you in a week and you don't hear from them, it's totally appropriate then a little after a week to say, hey, just a reminder, I know you're busy, you know, all those types of things. So you have to be appropriately aggressive is what I would say. You have to be authentic in the choices you make and when you make them, trust your gut, communicate with people the way you would want to be communicated, be respectful of their time, but then also make sure that you're using the time wisely and you're not being salesy in what you're trying to um, get to. And I would say that a lot of the connections, again, come randomly and out of nowhere, but those deserve just as much attention and cultivation because you never know where it's going to go. And I think for Anne and me over the course of this year and all those people out there with the uncertainty of COVID, I mean, we built a new book of business that looked nothing like what we thought it was going to look like. But because we kept on our journey, we kept ourselves accountable and we continued to sell even in a really difficult time. Yeah. And I think um, the one thing that has really worked for us is by offering immediate value. Yes. Right? Because that's where people are going to like see that you're actually putting, you know, the the actions behind what the words are. So if you can add immediate value, even if you have to take a little bit of a monetarily a hit on that in order to be able to showcase that value. I mean, we did the, you know, the same thing. Um, you know, you, you learn how to grow out of that, but initially you have to like show up. You need to let people know mm -hmm. what you're about and what you can do. And sometimes the only way of being able to convince them is by actually doing some of that. So there's ways of being able to manage that so you don't get like totally taken to cleaners because you are trying to run a business here. So you can't do everything pro bono. But um it's 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 a way in in order yes. to uh to demonstrate that. So and we're gonna talk about that I think on a later podcast. But I also wanted to make a I think you made a really great point too about the patience, April but it's not patience that you're sitting around waiting for something to happen. <laughs> exactly. Right? Because that was the thing that, like, we hear, we see, like, oh, well, I'm just waiting for them. Like, well, if you're waiting, go sow another seed. Yes. Yeah. You know, so you always should be sowing seeds. You should always be in your garden sowing seeds. You shouldn't be just waiting for something to happen. It's not going to just happen. It's not going to just fall in your lap. You have to create your own opportunity. Now, there is a little luck that's usually associated with that, but it's usually the luck that comes from the opportunity that you've been cultivating. So make sure you're not just sitting back waiting for something to happen. It's just not going to work that way. Yes, exactly. Um, which uh, actually is a good segue to the next one, which we've talked a little bit about getting started once you decide to go on your own. But I think that this is another one that's worth talking a little bit more, even as, you know, things start to get moving. How do you continue to build momentum? How do you make sure that you're you're doing things every day, that you're not slacking off, but you're also not working yourself to death? Um, and I'll kind of turn that over to you. Yeah. And I mean, you did mention this and you had a lot, a lot of really, really great examples. I'm just going to fine point um a couple of them, because we are going to have a couple, I think we're going to do it in a two-parter, I think we de we decided, coming up here, eh, next, you know, month or so, where it actually gets into the more tactics of what you actually do from, like, forming your LLC to actually, like, studying, like, you know, pricing structure and all those sorts of things. So that's all coming from a tactical standpoint. 
what we're focused on right now is just kind of putting you in the mentality of like, okay, this is the mind space you need to be in in order for you to really like get ready for this journey. So I think that really like sums it up. It's like, how do I get started once I decide to go on my own is you have to, like you said, initially do something like Mm -hmm. the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? If you know you want to get here, like, and I'm, you, you can't see me, guys, but my hands are like up high. <laughs> um, you have to figure out what it takes in order to get started to that point. And if you, if it's not like if that if that feels too like out there, like if it feels too big, just keep asking yourself like, what can I do now to get to that? What can I do now to get to that? What can I do now to get to that? If you keep on like breaking it down to what do I need to do, you'll get to something that you can do right now. Something right now may look like I need to go contact this person because this person knows something about that. Like that might be the first thing that you do that you can do now that leads you to the next step. But if it seems like too far out there, just break it down. I mean, you just break it down into into a piece so that you can eat that that elephant. But then the more tactical things is like what we talked about with regards to setting the schedule, making sure you have a schedule. Some people need that more than others. I was a little bit more free flowing, um, which worked for me, but. Um, I, I I didn't get distracted with like, oh, I'm going to go put in a little laundry yep. instead of doing the work that I need to go do. You, you, you're you going to get distracted like that. You If you want to do laundry while you're doing things, fine. Schedule like a five-minute break to go put a load of laundry in, but don't use it as an excuse not to get something done. It's very easy to avoid the hard stuff if there's something easier to go do. So don't avoid the hard stuff. Just break it down into something that you can do now. Um, it was very hard for me to network, but that was the very first thing that I did. And to your point, I think it was a, a, a extremely a good one. And I use the example of even how you and I met, yep. which was somebody that I um, had worked with at P&G who said, hey, you need to go meet this person who I went to go meet. He goes, you need to meet my wife, who I met her. And she's like, oh, you really need to meet April because she, you guys are doing similar things. And then me and April met and it was you know, business love at first sight. And then, you know, we were off and going, well, we'll tell that story later at some point too, because there was a lot of stuff that got us to where we are today. Um, but, you know, you have to do that stuff. Even if it's hard for you, there's no way around it. You have to do that stuff. And I would also say eliminating the distractions. So Anne talked about the laundry. I am a huge list checker. I get a lot of achievement or sense of achievement out of marking those things off. But it is really important that you keep your focus and whatever your hours are, that you allot those time blocks to when you're going to actually do that tough work. So, you know, what Anne and I do requires a ton of thinking time. That means no distraction. It also means when our energy is up and when we feel creative But if we just every day were like, hey, here's a list of things I could do, then it just becomes a matter of checking the box versus doing your job and doing your work and cultivating things. I mean, all those longer term things take time and thought, and you're not going to do that if you spend all day being distracted by other things. And I think the good point is thinking is work, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Not just doing. Um, So thinking is work, too. Very legitimate work. Yes, exactly. All right. So our our final number five for the day of In the Trenches, and this is another big one we get the question about a lot. Do I need to let people at work know I have a side hustle? I'm worried what they might think if they found out. So caveat, from a corporate responsibility standpoint, it depends. We are not lawyers and every company is different. But the advice that we could give is if it has nothing to do with your current business, 
and you're doing it on your own time, not during the company's time, and you're respectful and human about it and you don't lie, generally you're okay. I come from the agency world. I would say that, in fact, we encourage, especially the the creative folks at the agencies, to have a side hustle because we found that it kept them more inspired. And they, on their own, were not going to be competing for the hundreds of thousands of dollars of contracts that we were delivering upon at the agency. So some did photography or wedding invites or event planning or whatever those outlets were, and they were better employees because of it. Those types of situations are totally fine. But if you have a situation where you need to go work on your side hustle, you need to be honest. Take the day off. Take vacation. Do not lie about it. Don't put yourself in compromising situations where you could get caught, so to speak, because in today's world with social media and everything else, there's a really good chance. Or if you're just like me with bad luck, you will 100% of the time get caught. So be realistic. Set those boundaries. Do your thing outside of work. Um, there is definitely a fine line where you you have to start telling people, right, because that becomes your flywheel, as Anne likes to say, or the way you're going to start getting business in place. Um, but, you know, be practical. Trust your gut. Do things that you feel comfortable with. And generally speaking, you're okay. Yeah. And the only thing I can add, um, being from the corporate side, because there was a lot of people and there are still a lot of people who um, who will do side businesses or businesses that are ancillary to their existing business. And that is just go through the right channels. I mean, if you go through the right channels and you're feeling like, hey, this could, especially if you feel like it is going to be in conflict, it's just not worth putting your job at risk. So go through the right channels, ask the right questions. Could it be a a pain? Yes. Is it going to be longer and more drawn out? Probably. Are you going to have to like, you know, potentially consult a lawyer? I'm like, yes, you might have to do all those things. But at the end of the day, unless you are fine putting your job at risk and potentially being sued because you are using company assets in a way that wasn't uh, approved, then, you know, by me is go do it. But um, I don't think anybody's really in that position and nobody really wants to do that. And, and really, in, in all intents and purposes, Everybody wants to do what's right by um, not only their current employer, but by themselves because they want it to be a longer term uh, opportunity. So, yes, exactly. All right. And that's our In the Trenches segment. The one final thing that we like to do uh, is end with an example of how others are applying their marketing smarts related to the topic that we discussed today. So, again, today has been all about entrepreneurship. And the example that I'd like to talk about is one of my favorites. I talk about her often, but it's Rachel Hollis. And so... For those of you that don't know Rachel, definitely check her out. Um, But her entrepreneur journey was really interesting, right? So she started out in event planning for corporations, hit the downturn where corporations weren't spending that money anymore because they didn't have it, pivoted to wedding planning, which she didn't love, but it kept the employees on her staff and the people she loved around. And so they did that for a while. Fast forward several years. She is a motivational speaker. She has written three books. She uh, does her brand in a very authentic way. One of the things I love about her is she mixes personal and professional and uses both to tell really compelling stories and give advice that's relevant to people. And she has killer social media. So she's a regular presence. She's consistent. She definitely has a calendar, several of them, where she's managing her content. Uh, But the thing I love about her is 
and she talks about this openly and all the time, is that she has hit many roadblocks, many situations, both personally and professionally, environmentally, all these different things that happened to her. But the one thing she was committed to was continuing to move forward. And to Anne's point about believing you can do it even when it's really hard, um, she's a great example of that. So hundreds of thousands of followers now, uh, always in in the public light. Uh, But she does a great job of being who she is, talking about how she got from where she is was to where she is today and continuing to push herself forward on her journey so that she can continue to do new things and keep herself motivated to be there in front of others. So I think she's a great example of a success story, yes, but also someone who lives out all the things we talk about from a brand perspective, from authenticity to consistency to knowing who she is and who she wants to be on her journey. So she's one of our favorites. Yeah, and I think the journey part, and it's great that you ended with that too, because that's the part that I think is so critically important, is that it is a journey. It's not a sprint. And especially if this is going to be a life change for you. And I, I admire her for her ability to see the opportunity and to be just totally vulnerable yes. within those opportunities in order to share something that um, she thought that others would, would benefit from as well. Um, aside from being just super smart when it comes to her content creation and her social media, I mean, just brilliant in that, um, area. So I think she's a, um, a great person who's figured out what she has to sell. And it's again, not tangible in a product or a specific service, but it's tangible in the context of her life experiences that have a in the way that she's telling the story about them is the selling piece and and don't like underestimate the telling the story piece because that's what defines like her from everybody else because everybody has a life story to tell but it's how well you tell that story and that's like really what she's been phenomenal at yes exactly so that's what we have for you today again Today was all about entrepreneurship, how to know when you're ready, what to look out for, what to make sure you do and don't do. And then, of course, ending with our inspiration, which was Rachel Hollis today. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.